0: Welcome to another edition of the PredLines podcast. Uh, as usual, I'm, I guess, your quote-unquote host, Michael Wade. Uh, you might, might know me from PredLines.com, where you can read some of my articles. And uh, fortunately, even though it's a, a busy holiday season, we've been able to get the gang together, uh, joined, as, as usual, by uh, co-experts George Maturangas and Corey Francis. George, uh, I guess you're you're out west. You're on Pacific time, so we'll start
1: with you. How's how's your week been going? Uh, it's been going pretty well. Just living in the sunshine uh, instead of Madison, which is real nice. Going to the Sharks game tonight, which I'm pretty excited about. They take on the LA Kings. Oh, nice. mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see Joe Thornton play, which might be his last season. So it's, it's going to be good yeah uh i assume i
0: assume most of our listeners are in the middle tennessee area it's as we all know it's been raining and cold for the past like four days straight so i think we're all a little envious of your west coast sunshine and and warmth um it's wonderful and you're getting to go to the shark tank this evening yeah um that's uh, always always fun especially against a big rival like la so uh you have my my jealousy Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then Corey, we'll
2: will move east. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing well on this wonderful Festivus day. I've got a bunch of areas of grievances. We're going to get them out today, aren't we? Yeah,
0: hopefully. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit of a rough week. Uh, it's kind of a rare uh, a rare tough week for the National Predators. Um, but that it, you know, it's it's just not a bad thing for us. It gives us quite a bit to talk about. Um, it, it tends to get a little. Not that I would ever complain about success, but it tends to get a little stale to just be singing the praises of a team forever. You got to, every now and then, you want to find some issues and to discuss maybe how to address them. So um, I guess that's kind of going to be the theme of this episode and this week. Uh, as, as I'm sure most of you know, the Predators coming off a, an 0-2-0 week, losing to Winnipeg and uh, Carolina, both in regulation. Um And I guess, you know, naturally we will start with the Winnipeg game, which I thought was actually a very decent effort from Nashville. I I didn't have too many complaints. Uh, You know, if you read my article, you'll know that I was actually somewhat impressed with most of Nashville's game against Winnipeg. Uh, I've, you know, I think we've all seen kind of time and time again that the jets are actually are a very legitimate, um, you know, unit this year and, and, and an opponent to be reckoned with. So, even though they they uh they got the win in regulation i don't think that's too bad for nashville um the only thing i and i guess i'll just kind of kick it off right at the end which doesn't make too much sense but the only thing that really disappointed me was that nashville was several well two or three games in hand on pretty much everybody around them they were 90 seconds away from getting a point uh and they uh, due to kind of a rare mistake by pecorine uh At least rare this season they they gave up that lead in the last minute and a half um and gave up that that incredibly valuable point in the standings which i thought was disappointing uh we'll start with Corey. what did you think about this this winnipeg game kind of your your general takeaways you know uh,
2: first of all I, i agree with your sentiment that it was just a great game to watch i mean a lot of action a lot of up and down uh, you know, and it was relatively close. Uh, if you look at, if you look at some of the stats, you know, uh, you know, high danger, high danger, high danger chances, you know, were like nine to 10, you know, we had nine, they had 10. So, I mean, it was a very close, lots of opportunities to score. Uh, the thing that I, I really, when I look back at it now, I'm like, this is a Predators game just turned around on them, where uh, Winnipeg can kind of get out to, you know, I hate to get out to leaders, like, but they got a lead here. They won the game. But if you look at the, you know, the, first, the first period, the Predators did pretty well. Their core C4 was a 51.35 on 5-on-5, five five, and then took a backseat second, uh, second period, and then that third period, they really hammered it on. Well, that's kind of the opposite of what's happened all season. Usually, it's they they don't do too well in the course C4 early on, and then the teams come. You know, they get a lead, and then the teams come back on them. So it's a little bit of a reverse uh, performance form, uh, at least from my perspective.
0: Yeah, I was a little surprised, kind of when I looked at the stats from that game. I noticed the third period at five on five really went kind of Nashville's way, but though there were I guess I think there were only three penalties taken in the third period total two of them resulted in that in the four on four it was the uh I forget who tripped uh, who, who tripped up Austin Watson but they got him and the uh and Watson for the embellishment and then uh they would eventually Winnipeg would get a power a short power play from that as well so at five on five it was really Nashville's advantage in the third period but when you considered the the power play and the four on four chance Winnipeg really kept the advantage so it was Nashville certainly this year has had an issue with taking penalties but really in that third period it was a great example of how disastrous that can be because it without the penalties i think Nashville really would have um at least maintained the the tie in the third period if not put in a, a goal to uh to take the lead um but the penalties just really disrupted that flow and and let winnipeg kind of stay in the game until obviously very end when they ended up winning it uh, George, uh, I guess from a, you, you you got to watch the game from a bit more of a neutral perspective than perhaps Corey or myself. Uh, other than just being a great game, were there any
1: particular themes that stuck out to you? Uh, yeah, so the Winnipeg Jets game versus National Predators was a lot of fun. It was just up and down barn burner hockey. A lot of the, I think they call it fire wagon hockey, and you had goals in the power play, you had goals at five on five. I mean, there's just a little bit of everything, and It was just a lot of fun. Um, What I noticed from the Predators was that they were getting a lot of shots from a lot of different places, but they weren't getting a high concentration of shots from high-danger areas, which is kind of what they need to do. Whereas when you look over where the Jets were shooting from, they weren't really getting the kind of quantity of shots that the the Predators were, but so many of them were coming from the net front area or the low slot. Uh, So that's probably going to be something in the future, and we've kind of been harping on them for that. Or for the Predators since the beginning of the uh, of the season, where they they don't grab a lot of high danger chances and they give up quite a few. Um, just as far though, as other as players in the game, uh, the Joe Philin was was really great the entire line, the entire game. And I'm actually not really sure why they kind of stuck them back together because I really liked. I thought uh, Forsberg and Yaren crook were very good, and kind of on their own line on that you know quote unquote third line. Um, and I thought that really spread out a lot of other teams, so I, I hope they kind of go back to that. But otherwise, one of the things I noticed is that they kind of sacrificed a lot of um, they they sacrificed some of, some players for for others. Whereas the Joefo and the um, and the tourist line got really good zone starts, but they sacrificed like Colton Sissons, Kyle um uh, uh, Pontus Aberg's, and even like uh, Nick Benino's zone starts for that. Or Austin Watson being the most, he had absolutely zero. Offensive zone uh, starts. Good grief! Yeah, poor guy. Which he does again. I think he's one of the better defensive players on the on the Predators as far as forwards go. But I mean, you got to give him a little bit of help there. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, like
0: most of his assignments are penalty killing or immediately defending a faceoff. So yeah, Austin Watson is definitely top of my list on like people I will buy a beer for <laughs> if I see them because like he just does such a thankless job and he does it very well. Um, but yeah, I agree like as far as being kind of a barn burner it was a lot of fun. It was it was it seemed like almost sort of like an overtime period where it was it was literally like the you know the goalie would make a save at one end, immediately the puck would be sent back up the other way and become a 2 on 1 or a 3 on 2 or something. Um, and that would, you know, there were several sequences where it was that kind of back and forth. So it was a lot of fun. Um, obviously Nashville not getting the result they wanted, but I I actually, you know, I I was pretty optimistic about the performance. I think that they they showed some life in some areas that we've been a little concerned about especially like you mentioned the high danger areas Um, it was pretty much dead even at at five on five Um, so you know the Preds did a a pretty good job at getting in that slot area and that crease and and generating chances while also keeping the Jets out of their own Um, but but again you know the result went went Winnipeg's way Um, and and then Corey did you uh, what did you think about this game
2: yeah, I kind of agree with you guys. It's, uh, it was kind of a, a fun game to watch, if you, especially if you're just wanting to watch a hockey game and you re- didn't really have a rooting interest in either team. Um, the thing I kind of took from it, though, it's, it seemed like a, a backwards game for the Predators. Usually... You know they get out shots early on, um, and then the second period they'll kind of catch things up a little bit, get a lead, and then let the third in the third period the other team will kind of come back. Well, this is backwards. In the first period they kind of won the shot battle. Second period they lost the shot battle. Third period they won the shot battle by a by a wide margin. So it seemed like it was a little bit backwards from what they're used to playing. Um, don't really know what to think about that. I mean, they had uh, pretty, uh, they had quite a few high danger chances, you know, nine chances versus 10 chances on five on five versus the jets. So, I mean, it looked like it was a pretty even game all the way through, just kind of fun to watch, um, throughout the game. And, you know, one thing I found was interesting is when you're talking about the high danger chances and the people were on ice for that. You know, uh, Alexi Emelin was on chance for four of those. I mean, maybe it wasn't his chance, but he was on the ice during those times. And I've kind of been harping on him for a while this year about you know he's some of his poor play, but it looks like he's stepping things up a bit recently in particular. And the Predators are, are doing a little bit more with him on the ice, which is a, a good sign, especially with the potential of having uh, Ryan Ellis back soon. That gives you, you know, another person on the third line of of the defense that could produce something, and I I like those chances a little bit better than what we've seen so far. Yeah, you got to
0: wonder. It it will be very interesting once Ellis is back, and that should, according to uh, kind of the official team reports, that should be in the next couple weeks. It'll be interesting to see if the team opts to keep like Subban and Emelin together because they've had 35 plus games together. Or if they decide, you know what, we really, we want to revert back to last year's system um, and, and maybe slot Emelin down onto that third pairing, you know, that, that's going to be an interesting decision they'll have to make once Ellis comes back. Ellis, of course, coming back will, will only strengthen the team. It'll just be figuring out who, who goes where um, after the fact, um, you know, the, the, the Winnipeg game, the loss itself, like I said, didn't bother me too much unfortunately when you put it in the context of the next game uh, against Carolina the week looks pretty bad especially for the kind of momentum Nashville's been carrying recently with uh, you know like George mentioned those three huge wins in Western Canada um, and then bringing it back to Nashville and and getting two losses two regulation losses consecutively I think it's pretty safe to say that the Carolina game was strange Um, I, I can't say I've ever seen a game at least it been at a game where a team allows four goals in the first six minutes. Um, and then it made me, you know, I, I found myself cringing every time Carolina had a shot on goal the rest of the game. Cause it just felt like there was, there was no save to be made for Nashville and, and for Rene, you know, obviously like he's, he's a seasoned pro he's been in the league for several years. I'm not too worried about his ability to bounce back from that. Um, and then of course I'm obviously, uh, inspired by the performance of, of Soros coming in very difficult position being down four nothing and, uh, you know, Saros beating the Caroline being the Hurricanes, uh, one, nothing in that game. So, you know, that's, that's a good position, uh, a good performance from Saros for sure. The first two goals I thought were, were mostly on the defense. Uh, you know, it's not obviously not common that we see them happen so quickly right off the bat, but it's, uh, unfortunately a little too common to see defensive breakdowns like that for nashville the next two goals i thought were somewhat fluky the the fourth definitely being just on pecker i mean the the shot came from basically the blue line it was kind of a dump in and it just i think it got between his between his legs it got went through five hole and um you could just tell his mind his you know that game had completely gone to his head already so i thought it was a good decision to pull him you know you obviously never want to see a, a you know your your starting goaltender get pulled out of the game so f- quickly, but uh, it was it was certainly the right decision. Um, and to me, I felt like that the fourth goal was really kind of you know it sounds almost silly to talk about it. the fourth goal was like the real the fatal blow. I think if the if Nashville had been down three nothing with fifty five minutes of hockey to play, they could definitely have come back. But that f- for whatever reason, that fourth goal just really felt like an insurmountable. Uh, you know, obstacle. Corey, did you think that Nashville was pretty much down and out right away or, or did you kind of watch the game with a bit
2: of anticipation that they might get back and do it? You know, I, I, as I was watching the game, I, I just felt like it was done. They were they were done after a certain amount of time, and I, and I usually get a pretty good feel about these things um, whenever I'm watching the game. Like like I've said plenty of times before, I'm a big Chicago Cubs fan. Well, when I'm watching the game, especially like in the playoffs, and I get a feeling within the first three innings, yeah, it's just not our night. I didn't feel like it was the Predators' night that night. It felt like they had to get in a different mode. You know, yes, they can put shots on goal. I mentioned this a few minutes ago, they could put shots on goal, but they're, they are, we're going to shoot enough to outscore you. You're going to, we're going to make you shoot, a uh, shoot a lot, but we're going to block them and we're going to get in the way and you're not going to find the net. Well, in this game, they had to shoot more than their opponent and get an offensive mindset instead of a, uh, 50, 50 offense, defense mindset that I think they usually play with. Um, and so I felt, you know, that's. Even with the Kevin Fiala goal, which you know is his uh, ninth point in the last uh, nine games in a row, um, nine games are over the point. Eight of the last nine had a goal in them. That's great. It's great to see him do well, but, but I think it was still not their night whatsoever.
1: Yeah, bad goaltending can really be a killer, and I don't want to put all the blame on Pecorine, but it, he's just been so good that when he is bad, you kind of have to. You kind of have to recognize it. And it was good that UC Saros was able to step in and kind of save the day. I mean, you know, preventing it from being a bloodbath. But I don't know. I don't. I thought the Predators played the last two periods very well, but that first period was, was kind of rough, after, especially after the first six minutes. And it was very interesting. You don't really see the Carolina Hurricanes go into a shell like they did, where they kind of just said, all right, we're up 4 1 or we're up 4 0. This is how we're going to end the game. And. You know, the sign of a good team is that they keep pouring it on. And it was good that the Predators didn't just kind of roll over and die. You know, they actually, Kevin Fiala got a, got a point. It was it was good. Um, one of the things I noticed was that after those four goal, after the four goals were scored, the Predators did a really good job of keeping them out of the, uh, the net front area and the low danger, uh, i sorry, the low slot. Uh, and they did a really good job of actually getting some high danger chances of their own. They had about four or five just from the net front area and, you know, within five feet of the net. Um, yeah, it was, it was tricky. Uh, once again, the Jofa line was incredible, but they'd sacrificed, uh, the urine and, uh, Watson line to kind of give them those zone starts, which is, which is just tough. It's, I'm more of a fan of a balanced attack, but I guess that they think that they can make it work. And, you know, after the first period, it was zero, zero hockey. So I guess, I guess that they feel good enough about it, but I don't know. I think. I don't think it's a coincidence that that the uh, that after the after they reunite the Joe line, they kind of start to see a little bit of struggling from the from their bottom two lines uh, as far as offense goes.
0: I thought that Nashville showed enough life, especially in the second period, that I thought you know this this game may not be over yet. And and George, like you mentioned, it you know aside from the obvious disadvantage of being down for nothing, you know, and just that's a huge, it's a huge number of goals you need to score pretty quickly. The other disadvantage is that the other team can afford to just play defense pretty much the entire time. They don't, they don't need to sacrifice defensive coverage to try to get that goal because they've, they've already done plenty of damage offensively. So I didn't think the game was over necessarily. Maybe I'm more of an optimist than Corey, but I didn't think the game was necessarily over after the first period. I thought if they could get one back, maybe it would, they would still have a chance. And sure enough, Kevin Fiala did um, off of a kind of a, I think it deflected off maybe his upper body somewhere off a of Subban shot. Um, the, the point at which I thought the game was over was, I think there were two pretty consecutive back-to-back uh, high danger chances from Nashville in the second period. And it really Cam Ward didn't know where the puck was at all it just somehow he kept it out. And that's when I was, I at that point during the second period, when it just seemed like none of the bounces were going to go Nashville's way. That's kind of when I, I decided to pack it in, but I was glad that they at least kept into it. They didn't, you know, it it didn't become a 10, nothing. It didn't become a Chicago against Pittsburgh. You know, I Pecorino, I'm sure his, his ego might be, might be uh, stunned a little bit, but the team itself battled back and I didn't think it became too embarrassing of a result. Um, which really is all you can ask for after allowing four goals in the first uh, several minutes. You know, and it kind of just it brings you to the the general point when you look at a team like Nashville, you know, despite of being outplayed you know somewhat regularly, it seems like Nashville the, the possession is lacking in almost every game, even the big victories. But when you look at two back-to-back losses, it's extremely rare for this team this season you got to wonder, you know, is there something deeper going on? Are we starting to see some issues that will linger or is it kind of just a bad week? Um, And and Corey, I'll let you kind of answer that question for me. Just, you know, do you think that the, like, for example, I I think we might release this episode after the Dallas game, but at this point of recording, they're playing Dallas later tonight. You know, if they lose tonight, does that signal really a a big issue going on or or is it just kind of a, a little bit of a speed bump right before the holidays?
2: I just think it's a speed bump. I mean, in every team in every season, it's going to go through their ups and downs. And every once in a while, you're allowed to have a clunker of a game, which I think the Hurricanes game was. Um, that being said, if you look at this year versus last year, um, the Predators lost three games in a row, games number 33, 34, and 35. Those were all at home. They were against the Minnesota Wild, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, and the LA Kings, I think in reverse order. I think they lost to the Kings first in a 4-0 shutout. But it happened around this time of year, where they just kind of—I don't know if they're distracted, if they're just tired. It's been a hard season. You're, you're reaching the midway point. There's a lot of other things going on around family and things like that. So maybe it's just that time where they're mentally fatigued or something else that's caused that causes them not to be prepared for every single every single game. Um, but I, I think there's some similarities there. I I don't think it's a big issue at this point. If we start to see this happen regularly for the next several, next couple of weeks, then we're going to have to revisit. But I think at this time it's just a speed bump. Like I said, everybody in the, in the league and every sport is going to go through some sort of speed bump, some sort of losing streak, some sort of slump. And I think this is just the time the Predators are going through their slump.
0: George, is this a slump they can get out of quickly or is it going to stick around for a while?
1: Well, just statistically speaking, uh, the last – November and into December they were just they were just red hot and a, a lot of what we saw in October wasn't really a bad Predators team where they weren't where they were kind of like 500 or a little bit above 500 but a lot of them were getting very unlucky um um sorry Craig Smith uh, was shooting at like 5% uh Kevin Fiala was shooting very very low Pontus Aubert couldn't get anything going um Really, if it wasn't Jofa, no one else was scoring goals, and you kind of saw that. And then, once Kyle Turris was came in, uh, you started to see the second line take off. And I don't necessarily—I mean, I do like Kyle Turris quite a bit, but you know, uh, Craig Smith was shooting tw- uh, was, was shooting twenty two percent in the uh, in the like nineteen, or I think it was—I did a eighteen games that Kyle Turris had played. He is nineteen now, but. Yeah, he's shooting at like 22%, and now he's shooting his season averages come up to 10.53. And, you know, that's very sustainable, but something tells me that, you know, that it's going to start averaging out. And probably he's going to probably end up shooting maybe 13% by the end of the season. And so I think we're kind of going to see him going to another uh, slump as he normally does. Um, Fial is going to keep going. I think Fial is going to keep going the way he is. He's really good, and he creates so many high danger chances that. It's he was bound. I think he was bound to kind of to find his hot streak, and it it just helped to have tourists there too. Uh, actually, one of the things I'm just looking at the stats right now. Do you know who has the third most points? Oh I'll, I'll just say, you know who's, who who had the top three points as far as five on five goes for the Predators? I'm gonna guess that Forsberg is not on that list because
0: he does a lot of stuff at on the power play. Is that correct? Actually, it's. I'll just do it. It's
1: number one, yeah, Philip yeah, Forsberg, true. with uh, no. Yeah, yeah. That was way wrong.
0: Way wrong. <laughs> Sixteen. Points. I I I'd convinced myself with my own narrative that he was doing nothing at five on five, but obviously yeah. that's <laughs>
1: incorrect. And then uh, you get number two is Kevin Fiala, who has fifteen points at five on five, which is which is good. Uh, and then number three is uh, Kelly Urn with twelve points at five on five. Even it does my heart good. Always does my heart good to see Aaron Kirk up there. He's, he's got
2: thirteen. He's got six assists and seven. Excuse me, seven assists and six goals on 5 one 5 doesn't he?
1: I think it says here that he has six assists and six uh, six goals. I think one of them one of them may have been four and four. So now, uh, this is only doing five-on-five. Oh, okay, okay, um, that could be it. Yeah, it's it, this, that's not good. You know, I mean Philip Forster and Kim Fiala. That's great. But Kelly probably shouldn't be in the top five. And that's no disrespect. That's just, not his, that's just not his game. He's not an offensive player. And so I think one of the things that I've, I've been very nervous about with Turris was that he's not really a 5-on-5 producer. I mean, he, he's a really good player, but even when, you know, when he was with the Coyotes and when he was with uh, the Ottawa Centers, he was never the guy that was scoring you know, 30 to 40 points a season at 5-on-5. He makes his money on the power play. And while that's great, as soon as that power play dries up, and it eventually will because it's still somehow producing, like it's still going at like 20%, it's going to be really tough. Uh, it's going to be tough for the players to score goals. And, and there's, I don't, Ryan Dre Hansen is sitting at number six right now in five-on-five five scoring. He'll probably jump up. But uh, there's a lot of guys on here that have made their money off of like secondary assists, and I don't necessarily know how telling that is. So the players have just been relying so much on goaltending that if they don't get if they just get league average goaltending, I think you're, we're gonna start seeing a lot of games go the other way. And I don't I, I guess, hopefully Ryan Ellis can come and correct that, but I think that it may require a strategy change and it may require a fewer shots and just more, more high danger or more pressuring for high danger chances.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's something is just not you know a lot of games they just don't sit quite well with me, you know the, the goals that Nashville does tend to give up or seem very weak. It seems like the def, the def, uh, the defense, especially players like Roman Yosi, um, you know, it's certainly sometimes Alexi Emelin. You know, these players that should really be at least average, if not much higher than average, defensemen are just kind of totally breaking down. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's just been goaltending, like, the, obviously, primarily Pecorino, but also UC Saros have just completely kept Nashville in so many of these games. And I've been a little surprised, you know, and you read, like, um, you know, there's, there's certain obviously people online that, that run these kind of advanced analytics sites or at least contribute to them, and, and they do give Nashville quite a lot of respect um, in terms of, you know, probability making playoffs, probability of number of points, that sort of thing. And to me, if you're really watching the games, it seems like it's it's one bad goaltending performance as we saw against Carolina away from just all kind of breaking apart. Um, the power play, certainly, I've been thoroughly unimpressed with.
2: Yeah, their um, zone
1: entries are
0: so bad.
1: It's, it's, it's hard to watch. In- They're almost better at 5-on-5 five five with zone entries. They, they say that the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. And it's, just, it's like beating your head against a wall. Yeah. They just, for whatever now reason, will f- not change.
2: Now, wait a second here. Our friends, speaking of other people that do uh, sites on advanced analytics, our friends over there at uh, Natural Stat Trick, shout out to them, have a tweet that just came out saying the National Predators somehow, <coughs> somehow scored 10 power play goals in the last 10 games. Yeah, that's incredible.
0: It's I think it's such it's, a it's, weird it's fluky, counterintuitive. It's fluky. It's because I think the individual talent of National's forwards completely it, it's almost like it hides just how badly organized that power play is because you're even even when the zone entries are bad you know if you get one or two per two minute power play you know victor Arvinson's going to find you know get us get a skate blade on his shot or you know forsberg is obviously going to he can sneak in kind of the the back the back door of the net and get a, an easy goal but the actual organization you know, if if the talent level of the individuals were any lower, this would this power play feels like would be riding like 10 12%, you know, much, much lower than the 20% it's writing right now. But you see, like, you're down three goals against Carolina, still have plenty of time. I think it was about halfway through the second period. I could be wrong when they had that five-on-three opportunity for almost a full minute. And I don't think they generated a shot on goal. And believe me, I am not one of those people that will stand in the crowd yelling, shoot. Yeah. To me, the issue is not uh, even because on the five on three, the zone entries issue becomes somewhat less because obviously it's, it's much easier to gain the zone when when there's only three opponents. It's not to me that they're not shooting. It's that they're ca- they cannot find shoot- shooting lanes. They're not shooting because they're going to get blocked. But the lack of creativity, the lack of speed.
1: It's just so bad. Well it's just they keep doing the same thing. Just it's it's always the same. It's PK Suban or Romeyosi leads the rush. They have two players on either side a little bit below. The four checker makes Suban pick a side. Subban shakes that side, drops the puck. That one player then uh, shoots it across ice. Uh yeah, <laughs> then shoots it across the ice to the other guy that was that was trailing Suban. And then they try to enter the zone that way, and then they might bump it up to the guy to whoever's on the uh on the opposing blue line trying to you know, with a controlled zone entry. And at this point, I think I'd rather just have them do a flying V and then dump it in and chase because I've seen it. It's all it goes really well in the first period. Then every defender and penalty killer on the other team recognizes what's happening and that they force a turnover almost every almost every time. It's just I can't understand why they don't change it it's really you know it's it's incredibly frustrating and
0: and like i said you know i'm not i'm not one of these people that's yelling at everyone to shoot but you got to think on the power play especially when they're down three goals like you've got to make that count and and they just they could not organize well enough at all so that yeah that's that's a glaring issue in this game in the the game of the predators kind of on a night-to-night basis and i think it it seems as simple as just changing the overall strategy but i'm sure there's much more into it than that but well i mean that's got to be that's got to be
1: fixed and i'm not one of the guys that yell shoot either uh i i think that the power play is the perfect time to go for for quality over quantity where sometimes the best thing to do in in any given situation is just put the puck on net and hope good things happen and i think possession is just such a big thing and just you know wearing the, the defense out and keeping those passing lanes open and kind of keeping everyone moving is such a big deal but yeah it's just they have such great passers yet they can't get the puck to a high danger area to save their life and i don't really know why like what they're having issue with i think they might have to switch to like an overload strategy rather than rather than an umbrella strategy
2: yeah and I look at it from a from I'm a huge basketball fan as well I know I love all these types of sports but when you look at we look at basketball you want to see some sort of motion on the offense and if you're doing some sort of pass from the wing into the paint, you wanna have someone else after they pass the ball in to head towards the goal. Well I never see that with the predators on the power play. It's like we're gonna to try to pass it around their wings a little bit, a little around the outside, and then if we get it in, we're gonna to try to shoot it right then instead of have some sort of motion come across with it and get it, get someone on the open side of the goal. It seems like it's a very stagnant, lacking of motion type of offense on the power play, and that's what frustrates me when I, when I watch. It's like, move, do something, be active, and it seems like more teams, for a team that's got so much success on the power play, or at least had until this point, it, it seems like they're, that's what they could be doing to, to make things better. I've watched other teams do the exact same thing, even on them, on the power play, and it's just, that's frustrating to me. It's you know it's one of those
0: things that gets totally overlooked when they're winning, but when you get two back to back losses, um, and, and again we're you know recording this before Dallas. So hopefully they they kind of bounce back tonight with a win in Dallas. But when you have a bad week, issues that have been overlooked start to really make their way to the forefront. The power play is absolutely one of those issues, um, especially against Carolina when they just it needed to be executed well and it just wasn't. Um, so we can hope. You know, they're going to have a bit of time off the holiday. Obviously, it's going to be uh, supposed to, you know, the players are going to be allowed to relax and, and kind of hang out with their families a little bit. Maybe the coaches will, will get together and, and and keep working at it because uh, the power play needs to be fixed sooner rather than later. Nope. nope. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I agree.
1: It's not going to happen. If it, if it it's, hasn't it's, happened by now, I don't think it'll ever yep. it ever will. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right we'll just move on uh craig smith uh again recording this before the dallas game he's a possible uh it's possible he'll play tonight he was a scratch against carolina supposedly he's got a very minor lower body injury i believe was the latest uh report on craig smith but he's been uh, a, a very effective forward for nashville so we certainly hope that he's back, and and of, of course, I really don't want to call it the Smurf line, but I have yet to hear a better alternative, and I don't want to say Smith Taurasi Fiala every time because I'm lazy. Um, it's it's been a, a big talking point for the Predators recently, and in, in the uh, you know twenty or so games since Taurus was acquired, that line has been pretty effective uh, at all strengths. You know, if you include the power play and that sort of thing, it's it's been a very effective line. So to lose a player like Craig Smith for any length of time will be um, kind of a big loss, and we'll and we'll definitely see some kind of interesting rearrangements. Is there? I guess I I, I can pose this question, and I'll, I'll George, I'll put you on the spot first. Is there a player on this national lineup that you'd think should be maybe take Smith's place on the second line? Is there kind of a natural successor
1: there, or do you think that they should just kind of blow that second line up entirely? I don't know. I like Fial and Turis, uh quite a bit together, but. Again, I don't really see Smith as like a real second liner. I kind of just saw him as someone that got hot with them. And I think I do I don't know necessarily know if that there's a good player to replace him. I my I'm still as far as that second line goes, I still want uh them to move uh probably actually move uh, Colton Sissons up to that to that right wing spot in the second line, uh put Hartnell on the first line with Arvidson and uh Johansson and then move Forsberg back with Eren and just kind of try that out for a little while because I I really like like I said, I said earlier I really like Urin and in together I thought that really kind of that put some depth in the scoring and as we've seen over the past few games they haven't the depth hasn't really come in and played very well offensively so I think that might help um, but yeah I guess, I think I'd rather put Sizens where Smith is rather over someone like Hartnell but I think yeah that's that's just kind of how I feel about it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to have Hartnell back. He was, I think, Hartnell's main influence is just really kind of disrupting the, the net front. You know, he, he can get in the crease and, and be a big body right in there. Um, obviously, hasn't been effective so far because I'm pretty sure he both of his return games have been losses. I can't remember when. Can one of y'all fill me and I forget when exactly Hartnell came back to the lineup. I don't. Did he come back in for Canada or trip? No, he was, came at he the same worried. time as uh, he came back the same game as Johansson. Okay, so he, yeah, yeah, and and, and I, I, Hartnell's a great player. Getting, I was very disappointed with his that very late penalty in the Carolina game. I just don't think there's any excuse for getting a, a ten minute misconduct by from leaving the ice, you know, on your skates. I was very disappointed with that, but I'm glad to have a player like Hartnell back in the lineup. And I'll be honest, I was kind of expecting him to get a call from player safety about that just because of the situation of the game more than the hit itself. Down three goals with like less than two minutes left. Um, But certainly having a player like Hartnell back in the lineup is never a bad thing. Um, Smith, I think Smith to me does a bit of the same job as Arvidson on that first line. He's he's a very fast player. He get in the dirty areas, get in the corners, kind of disrupt the play on the forecheck. Tourists, you know, obviously being a center, it's, it's easy to equate him to Johansson. They kind of had the IQ. They kind of know how to organize the play. And then, uh, so far Fiala has been the quote unquote Forsberg of the second line where it's just kind of got a lethal shot. If you can get the puck to him in a dangerous area, he tends to make it count. So I think that line's been great. I hope that certainly hope that Smith gets back soon. Um, I'm not going to micromanage their performance. I think if you're getting the goals and you're getting the victories, it's a lot easier just to, to allow these sorts of things to continue. And frankly, I've been impressed with that second line, uh, especially with Kevin Fiala, who's just entirely emerged, which I, I, I kind of heard an interesting discussion on Kevin Fiala recently that I think it has a lot more to do with him mentally getting over the injury that he's he's suffered in the postseason than it does with who he's playing with. I think he just needed to realize that he's back to full health and can take hits before he really got his confidence back. And now we've seen that he does, um, which is great because I mean, Kevin Fiala is so much fun to watch and I I still don't think we've even seen his full potential. Um, Supposedly in the next couple of weeks, I've heard even the first game of January, we'll get Ryan Ellis back Um, and I'll, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I'll, I'll start with you, Corey, who where do you think Ellis fits on this on this i assume top four defense the defensive uh, group but you know who do you think he replaces who how do you think those
2: pairings will look once Ellis gets back oh lord only knows i mean you know, they, they, from what they said, just to give, give a timeline here, uh, David Poyle said that he'll skate on the 27th, 28th, 29th, and should be right on track to join the team right after that. So we could see him the very first game of January once we, once we you know, the calendar changes here. Um, I, you know, I don't know where you put him because he's needed everywhere. Uh, do you put him with, uh, uh, Roman Yossi at the very top, and then slots uh, Matthias Ekholm down onto on maybe the third the third pairing, keeping Emelin and Suban together. I, I mean, I, I don't know. You, could, you, I would like to see, I would like to see him on the second line with with uh, Suban myself just because both of them can produce points, but I think Ellis is a little bit better at the shutdown game than Subban is. Both of them are very good at what they do. They're very Both of them are very good defensemen. But I think that we're allowing the top two lines of teams to get too many opportunities, and... Emelin is part of the reason why, possibly. So moving him to the third pairing may be the best for the team. That's just my opinion. I don't really know. You could put him anywhere, and it's going to be a great fit, but then you're shuffling lines around. Um, So personally, I I wouldn't mind seeing him with with Subban, but I can make a case for him being with either Yossi or with Ekholm even. You could could do a lot of different things here. Uh, But I think Subban would be the best pairing for him right now.
0: Yeah. I think of the top four defensemen in Nashville, of course, being, uh, you know, uh, Yossi, Subban, uh, and Ellis, I think Ellis is definitely number four in that list. And I would like to see him on that second pairing with Subban. I think kind of like you, I don't think, I think people have gotten a little and believe me, Ellis coming back to this lineup will only help the team. That is, I mean, it's very hard to argue otherwise. However, I think people should be a little cautious of how much of an influence they think he's going to have. I don't think Ellis is going to turn this into an undefeated team overnight. He's, I think he's an incredibly smart player. And and in the playoffs, especially we saw his ability to get on that blue line and really whip in shots, um, either scoring himself or or allowing for a nice rebound. So Ellis will be a great addition to this team. I frankly, I, I kind of with you, I think, keep it simple slot Emelin down to that third pairing. The only reason I think they wouldn't do that is because Subin and Emelin have had so many games together already this season. I can see them kind of being a little conservative about it and just leaving that where it is. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, I, frankly, I think Subin needs to be with someone a little faster than Emelin because his, his aggressive playstyle tends to leave things a little exposed on the back end. So I think the faster his his partner on that pairing, the better. Uh, George,
1: do you agree? Or do you think maybe Ellis will fit in somewhere else? I think he fits back in with Roman Yossi and then uh, just because they've been trying to do so far this season, they've been trying to do this, this thing with uh, with Ekholm Yossi where, whereas last year Yossi and and Ellis were like pretty heavily sheltered. I think they started on the offensive zone about 55 to 57% of the time. And then they sacrificed PK Subin and Matias Eckholm's zone starts for that, which I actually think made a lot of sense. I've, Continually stated that I think that the I think that uh Subban Eckholm is probably one of the top three shutdown pairings in the NHL, and not to say that they're misusing Eckholm because he still is a very good offensive player, but they're still trying to kind of shelter uh Roman Yossi, who doesn't really do that great of a job in his own zone, especially in the corners and in front of the net. And so, by trying to, I think that by just you know, having Echol move back and having Ellis move back in and then shifting the zone starts, you can kind of get back to what made the, that defense so great last season, where you have oh, like a one-two punch that's really good that can play, where you have your offensive all-stars and you kind of have your defensive shutdown. Um, the third line is going to be a big, I think that's going to be a big issue. Um, we'll see, Emlin's a left-handed shot, and so I really wish he was a righty because I don't, I don't like Weber on that defense at all. I think he's not good offensively. He's not good in, in transition, and he's not really good defensively either. And He takes pretty dumb penalties at bad times, in my opinion. Um, I'd rather have Irwin, but because Irwin and Emlyn are both lefties, and I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Irwin and uh, Emlyn are both lefties, and Irwin um, and Weber is a righty, I think that Weber will probably get the start or will probably get that uh, that space over one of those two. Although I imagine Emlyn will probably will probably be a full-time... Uh, probably, yeah, he probably won't be sent down for a few games, or he won't be scratched for a few games at all. Yeah. Emlyn's been
0: better recently, but I, th- I think he still represents sort of a weakness in this top four. Um, it will be very interesting. It's certainly a good problem to have, to have too many good defensemen. Um, not many teams can claim to have that problem, but uh, it will be very interesting to see how they kind of address that. Um, And and speaking of good problems to have, there's in the next year or so, I think these lineup decisions are going to be even more difficult to make. Nashville has uh, a pretty decent surplus of of promising prospects. And and luckily we'll be able to see a few uh, really this week uh, of the World Juniors um, this year happening in Buffalo. I think the USA's first game is the 26th. Uh, Let's see. I I had a schedule pulled up, and then I unfortunately – took it down but i think we'll be able to see a lot of these players on that first day and see first day we'll we will get to see um ellie tolvin we'll get to see patrick harper and and dante Fabro. so we'll get to see all three of these guys uh right off the bat in the world juniors Obviously, we all know the stories about Tolvin and setting all kinds of you know, 18-year-old records in, in the KHL. Um, Dante Fabro is a, a pretty good defensive prospect. Um, and then, I to be fair, I did not know a whole lot about Patrick Harper. I've looked him up. Uh, he currently is playing in the NCAA for Boston University. He has 21 points in 19 games, which is certainly not... Uh, not something to shake a stick at. Is that is that even the right use of that phrase? Probably I don't think I've ever used that phrase. Probably not. I think shaking is it does. What's that? <laughs> All right. Uh well I think Patrick Harper is has shown good numbers in the NCAA, I will I'll keep it simple. Um George, I know you're you're all you're big into prospects, So why don't you why don't you kind of fill us in on maybe some things we should be watching for in the World Juniors? Some some of these guys, um, you know, who are you most excited
1: to see in action? That sort of thing. Uh, just for so everyone knows, I am I'm not really big into NCAA. Uh, my job actually requires me to pull people away from the NCAA. So I'll start that off. Um, but yeah, let's <laughs> keep going with Dante Fabro. Really good defenseman. Great two way kind of sense. Had a very rough start to the year. I think he had about four points in maybe ten games or eleven games. But since then, uh, he's just exploded. Now he has twelve points in eighteen games. Really good, uh, especially because his first year he had eighteen points in thirty-six games. And so, which I thought was uh, which I thought was a success as well. So if he can finish with above twenty points, I think that he's setting himself himself up to be really good. I do wonder. Uh, I do wonder if he'll play in the AHL next year, though. That's my big thing. He'll probably eat a lot of very tough minutes. Whereas in the last World Juniors when he won silver, he was very heavily sheltered and saw a lot of power play time. I expect him to see a lot more penalty killing time, and I expect to see him play first pairing minutes against against like Eli Tolvanen and Rasmus Stalin and a bunch of other guys. Elias Peterson for Sweden. I this is gonna be a really good test, and I think since it's gonna be on TV, I think that. This is going to be a really good intro into who Dante Fabro is for National Predators fans. That being said, he's 19 years old. He's a right handed shot, which, what were we just talking about? Uh, uh, Weber being a right handed shot and still having a place in the lineup because of that. You know, Dante Fabro looks like a pretty good uh, successor to that, especially in the third line. So I'm very excited about Fabro. I was very high. I thought I did the prospect pyramid. Earlier in the earlier in the summertime, and he was in my my upper echelon. I think he, he was my first tier of uh, of players. I'm, I'm personally, I'm
0: obviously excited to see Tolden in action. Being in the KHL, I don't actually watch him play live ever, but I, I do certainly enjoy seeing the highlights. I know that his some of his issues are his size. Uh, he need, I think he generally benefits from the large, the the more open ice that he gets in the KHL. Um, and, it, you know, forgive my ignorance, is the the World
1: Juniors has played on NHL, like North American ice regulation, I would assume. Yeah, it actually, I think it depends. I think because they play, sometimes they'll play in like Helsinki or they'll play in Europe. And then right. this year there it's on that, it's on, it's in Buffalo. So I believe it is on okay, yeah. NHL ice.
0: So that will be, I mean, that's, that's going to be definitely my number one thing to watch for is how Tolvenin adjusts to the smaller ice. Uh, surface. If he can still get those those wicked shots off when he's got a defenseman a little closer to him,
1: I, I like um, Tolvin a lot. I he's one of my probably one of my favorite offensive prospects, and I have no doubt that if you put him in the NHL today, that he would flourish offensively. But he has a lot to work on defensively. I've seen about two or three of Joker's games, so I'm by no means an expert. Uh, but he he's a winger, and he doesn't really attack the defenders that well. Uh, he consistently allows defensemen to come to the middle of the ice and to the center and, and get shots off from uh, from the center of the point. And otherwise, he can kind of be caught cherry picking from time to time. But he's also 18, and you know, 18 year olds aren't always aren't always the most defensively responsible. And I fully, I kind of expected that. Um, that being said, he started off really hot. He's kind of had a, a not a bad, but a quieter like last seven or eight games. He had thirty two points in thirty-two games and now he's thirty-two points in thirty-nine games. Um seventeen goals there was nothing to sneeze at in the KHL. The only thing that makes me a little bit hesitant is that eight of those were on the power play. Um but otherwise he's just he's firing so many shots. He's only he's only shooting eleven point six percent with those seventeen goals. So it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility that he could be that he could keep that up. Uh,
0: Corey, do you have any, any of these three or or really anyone else that you're, you're looking to see big
2: numbers from in the, in the world juniors? You know, I, I'm really excited to see these three play. The one, the thing with the world juniors that I'm most interested in, and it's not really watching what, who scores the most amount of points or, or things like that. It's, it's about the prospects overall, you know, I'm going through and, 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 and who, what teams they're, they're associated with in the NHL, you know, um, if I look when you look at the U.S. team roster, you know you see someone from Nashville, you see Boston, you see a couple other teams, but you're not seeing anybody from like Toronto and Chicago, the Blackhawks, you're not, or you know. I'm kind of interested in seeing where the philosophies of the teams. You know, we're starting to pull people from uh, uh, from U.S. hockey a little bit. But where are we what are the other teams pulling from and where, what's that talent pool they're pulling from? Because you again, this is a very much a Canadian league a lot of you know, so I think 60 percent of the league is from Canada and then you get Russia and, and uh, the you know Eastern Europe. and now we're seeing more influx United States players as well. I'm intrigued by that part of it, the, where where the teams are looking for their prospects. I would be a little I'd be know, a little hesitant
1: <laughs> though that that Sweden. my two favorite teams going to this are Sweden and Finland. Finland has a lot of very top-heavy scores with Eli Tolvin kind of being the centerpiece, but holy smokes, that Swedish defense red, uh, led by uh, Timothy Logren of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Rasmus Dahlin, who's going to be the he's going to be the up, upcoming number one pick overall, who is putting up better numbers than uh, than Nick Lidstrom and Eric Carlson in the SHL at 17 years old. I I, I think that the the United States is a really good chance to win this, but holy smokes, there's going to be a couple really big. You know, knock down, drag up battles between Sweden, Finland, the United States, and I guess oh, even right. Canada. Can, although I'm not really right. high in and, Canada this season,
2: right? And i and my my thing is I'm looking for where these players, you know, the players from Sweden, the players from Canada, the players from Finland. Where are all these guys being? What the NHL teams are looking at these guys? Because as we're looking through the rosters, you know, you're starting to see, well, this, you know, this player was, pit, was drafted by Nashville in 2015, or this player was picked by uh, Boston in 2016. And I'm just intrigued by what NHL teams are looking for in their prospects, where they're coming from, the style of play they have, those type of things. Because it's kind of a farm system of sorts. If you want to get them into your program, you want to see you want, they got to fit the philosophy. And that's what I'm most interested in.
0: And it, it, the World Juniors do really give you a kind of a, a rare glimpse at all of the players, all of these prospects together. It's rare that you, you know, they're always playing in, in a lot of European leagues or maybe kind of the, the junior, major junior leagues in Canada, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it kicks off uh, just the day after Christmas, the 26th, with the Czech Republic and Russia playing. Uh, the U.S. plays that night at 8 p.m. Eastern, I assume, so that's 7 p.m. Oh, I also, I just um, looked at the
1: Canadian. Uh, world junior team because I hadn't looked at the roster yet and uh I take everything back. I think Canada might actually win it. Win again. They're just their <laughs> their defense, Dante Fabro, Jake Bean, Cal Foot, Kale McCarr, who I was not very high on. Uh, and then Victor Met. But then you got Carter Hot ha- or Carter Hart, I think, who has like a nine fifty in the WHL save percentage. I I don't know. That defense is just incredible. And then Sam Steele, Taylor Radish, Michael McLeod, Brett Howden. Uh, Maxim Comtos, I don't know, yeah, uh, this is going to be a good one. I Every year, it feels like every year it gets a little bit better, and I'm very excited for this one. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm, this is going to be probably the first year I've been able to catch, I'll, I'll hopefully watch most of the tournament, uh, certainly all of the games that are televised here, and if I can seek out some sort of bootleg stream for the ones that aren't. Maybe uh, the NHL. I will, I will, yeah, I, I assume, you know, the, the big kind of popular games are going to be on NHL Network. Uh, hopefully all of them. I don't actually know. I don't know if they've gotten the rights for all of them or not. Um, they'll probably be showing the road to the Winter Classic or whatever. Uh, but that's that's my personal grievances with NHL Network not...
2: Uh, Not that any of you need to hear about that. (laughs) Well, no, this is Festivus. You can air your grievances today. Today's the day to do that.
0: Well, (laughs) we're we're running short on time, and I don't think our our fans necessarily want to hear me me complain about that. Uh, I assure you that on our other podcast, George and I will complain about the NHL to no end. Everything. If you're into that, everything. Right. Just constant complaining. Um, As far as the upcoming week, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I guess by the time anyone's listening to this, the Stars game will be done and dusted. Hopefully, they can bounce, Nashville can bounce back from a um, a pretty slow week. So, you know, I would ask you what we're going to look for, but that seems rather silly since people are going to be hearing this after the fact. So suffice it to say that Nashville plays the Stars this Saturday night uh, in just a few hours. Um, looking ahead, though, they'll, they'll play in St. Louis, uh, I think, on Wednesday night. Obviously, going in there last time, getting the job done with a 2 nothing shutout, St. Louis being one of their Certainly big red circle opponents this year being a very strong division rival. Um, Corey, what do you think we should be looking for in the St. Louis
2: game? Uh, A little bit of revenge. uh, Especially depends on how things go for them tonight uh, in Vancouver. St. Louis is playing Vancouver tonight uh, uh, as they finish up their Western Canada road trip. But right now they've got three consecutive losses. We'll see how things go tonight. So if that one's up being four consecutive losses, they get home, they're going to want to have a little bit of – they're going to be a little bit more fierce. They're going to be uh, ready to uh, score and score at will. So I would say, you know, depending on how things go tonight, it's going to be a tough game no matter what with these two teams. Uh, But having lost at home earlier the season to the Predators, I look for St. Louis to give them the the game of the the season. Um, And hopefully Predators pull that one out. But it could be – uh, it could be an issue for them, depending on how they how things go tonight for St. Louis.
1: Yeah, uh, I think the big thing to watch for is kind of shutting down Braden Shen and uh, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, I think Gene Schwartz is, might be injured. I'm gonna, I'm going to take a look at that. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think anyone really had this Blues team being as good as uh, good as they as they have been so far. And I don't necessarily know if they are for real or not. Because um, you know, I've seen a bunch of teams have really hot beginning, like three months of the season, and then kind of fade. Uh, their underlying numbers would suggest that that they are for real, but y- y- you just don't know. Um, I think that as we kind of get a little bit past Christmas time, we'll find out. I think what the Predators need to do, though, is use their use their depth just to beat up on their bottom six. And I don't know. You can't really stop Petrangelo or P- P- uh, Pieraccio, but. Uh, Perico rather uh, but you can kind of you can target their partners who are not as good as they are um we'll we'll see what happens I'm that's gonna be a good matchup that's because that's possibly that's possibly a uh, a western a Western conference like matchup right there
2: and they're beat up pretty hard right now too they they've got four players they just put on injury reserve starting with Jaden Swartz on the ninth and he's out eight, six to eight weeks and then a couple others they, they just lost within the last two weeks. So it's uh, they're pretty beat up. Um, beyond that, keeping with the
0: Central Division theme, it's actually all Central Division this week. Uh, they got a, a very interesting doubleheader against Minnesota right after uh, the Christmas holiday, first of all, in Minnesota on Friday night and then coming back to Nashville on Saturday night. I think they did that last year as well. Um, which is always very interesting to play the same team two nights in a row. Um, Minnesota is, is kind of scraping the bottom of the central this, this year. They've had some real, they've had some real struggles. They currently are in sixth place, 39 points through 35 games. Um, so sitting uh, pretty well behind Nashville, um, even with a game in hand for Nashville uh do you think I mean I think on paper you got to expect this to be a four points in two nights for Nashville but you know it's not in Predators interest it seems to make things uh easy they tend to make things too interesting uh Corey would you expect four points in two nights or maybe some maybe fewer than that um I'm
2: just going to put. It, I'm just going to say maybe a little bit fewer, maybe three. I, I, I hate mm-hmm. to put those say that, but um, you know, you say they have 39 points, and but the, there's a big cluster of teams right around that 39 40 point mark, and that includes the Blackhawks and the Dallas Stars, and uh, I think there's you know four teams, five teams at the top of the, of the division right, clumped right around 46. The next five are right around 39, 38. Um, so it, they've been playing pretty well, but they kind of go back and forth between losses. I wouldn't be surprised if the Predators uh, got a, 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 a an overtime loss to them in, in Minnesota, but came back and won on home ice. So I would say I would say three points would be would be nice. I would like to have all four, but I'm going to give Minnesota a little bit of a chance. George, agreement or or
1: zero points, perhaps? Yeah. Uh, I was going to go two points, probably. I think they'll probably lose the one in Minnesota and then win the one in in Nashville. I also think it depends on which goalie starts. my My thought would be throw Soros to the Wolves a little bit on that first night and then have Pecorine come in and try to try to backstop them in Nashville. Just because confidence can be a big thing, and I think that Renee can feed off the crowd in in uh, in Nashville. I think that might be that might help him out a little bit. Again, who, yeah. who knows? It's just just a thought. Probably be determined by their performance. And I think
0: it sounds like Saras will get the start against Dallas, and then you'd assume Renee and St. Louis, so it'll surely depend on on those performances as well. Um, We better get out of here before we run out of time. Corey, uh, we'll start with you. Go ahead and plug your online presence and social media and that sort of thing.
2: Uh, you can find me, uh, obviously, on PredLines, uh, social, social media. You can find me at uh, Twitter, at, at Jade Corey Francis. Also on Instagram, if you like that. I have my own website as well, com. You can check that out. Not much going on there right now. I'm waiting until the beginning of the new year to roll out some new stuff. So. All right, and then
1: George, where can we find you? As always, you can find me on Twitter at George M ten nineteen. The G and the M are capitalized. Uh, find me, find my work at PredLines.com. dot uh, You'll probably hate it, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, otherwise, yeah. Confidence,
0: confidence. Yeah. As for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Wade M one nine nine four. Obviously on Predlines dot I try to ca- I ch- edit it to make it less WadeM and more Wade M, but. Uh, I guess that'll leave that up to the reader um you can find uh, if you're into podcasts you can find george and myself also on the between the pipes podcast comes out weekly otherwise we will probably be back next week uh, it's maybe a little different because of the holiday season but uh, we'll try to be back here next week break down some of the results uh, against these central division opponents gentlemen thank you very much for joining me on this uh, rainy saturday and i guess for george a sunny saturday out in san jose uh
2: enjoy the game tonight and we'll talk to you later